All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. If you're new with us, I'm not sure I see any new faces, but if you are there, God bless you. For the last few weeks, we have been studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit here at Calvary on Wednesday nights. And as we have said numerous times, we have looked at the lists already uh, that Paul gives of the gifts, uh, the two main ones, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And we kept the three most prominent gifts, I think, for last, prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, which Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12, but then uh, devotes almost the entire 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, to these three gifts. Now, last week we finished looking at the gift of prophecy, and we started on the gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues, as we said last week, uh, is a wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's also the most controversial. Controversy that's due mostly to ignorance. And that's sad because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, that he didn't want us to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. They're way too important, as we have said, to the overall health and function of the body. We need to understand them because uh, they're vital uh, to our ministries. But uh, ignorance breeds controversy. Controversy breeds division. And uh, that's what we see in the church today with regard to the gifts. A lot of division. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that was coming. And so I believe that's the main reason he stops uh, right in the middle of the two greatest chapters on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and he plugs in chapter 13, a chapter on God's agape love. So turning to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul said, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now that would include the gift of tongues. No cessationist can deny that a gift of the Holy Spirit called the gift of tongues existed and was practiced in the early church. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 18 that he spoke in tongues more than all the Corinthians. He might have had more than all the church in mind. I don't know. I know definitely more than all the Corinthians. So cessationists don't dare try to deny the reality of uh, this gift. They can't. Uh, so they say it was only for the first century until the New Testament canon of Scripture could be completed. And then certain gifts, gifts like uh, miracles, prophecy, and tongues, ceased. Now, we already dealt with this. I'm not going to get into it again. We've already dealt with that, uh, you know, their argument and everything. But let me just say this once again. Uh, it isn't up to charismatics to prove that tongues still exist. It's up to cessationists to prove it no longer exists. And that's a problem for them from Scripture. I mean, they got their verses and things, but I've heard them. And uh, not to be unkind, I think the argument that they present is weak. Uh, I think that the overwhelming scriptures on the subject teach us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit will continue on until Jesus comes for his church, the rapture. And we've talked about that. All right, again, just by way of review, what is the gift of tongues? Well, speaking in tongues is the supernatural, sounds bizarre, and, you know, uh, you try to share this with your unsafe friends, and honestly, they will write you off as being completely out of your mind. That falls into the category of casting your pearls before the swine, okay? We keep this in-house. Even among Christians, though, 
you know, among our brethren who don't believe these gifts are still around, you talk about tongues, and they honestly think you're crazy, okay? Uh, because we believe the scriptures teach that tongues is the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to communicate to God in a language you never learned and do not understand. As we said last time, it can be a modern language or dialect that is spoken somewhere in the world today. It can be an ancient language or dialect that has long since died out along with the culture that spoke it. Or it can be a heavenly language. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. This phenomenon first took place on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. You remember in Acts 2, we looked at verses 1 to 4, where the disciples were in the upper room as the Lord Jesus had commanded them. And when the Feast of Pentecost had fully come, the Spirit of God came upon the church like a mighty rushing wind from heaven and cloven tongues of fire appeared upon all of the disciples heads and verse 4 says they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance notice and we talked about this last time they began to speak in languages they never learned as the spirit gave them utterance or as the spirit gave them the ability and prompted them once again the holy spirit didn't take them over the Holy Spirit didn't possess them in the sense that he took them over and they were like puppets. They had no control. That's not what happened. The Lord never takes control of us against our will. Uh, if he ever wanted to do that, he could. But then why don't just take, take us over and uh, force us to believe uh, and that way, you know, that solves everything, right? No, he doesn't force us to believe. He doesn't force us to serve and he doesn't force us to speak in tongues or prophesy or anything else. It's all subject to us. We can uh, say yes or no. We can yield or resist. It all depends on, first of all, whether you understand these gifts, because if you don't, you're afraid of them. A lot of people, they're afraid of the gifts uh, because they don't really understand them. The church has never taught them about the gifts. In fact, a lot of pastors are, are just really uncomfortable with the whole subject, and they're cessationists. They believe that all these things passed off the scene ceased at the end of the first century and we've talked about that but uh, what is the purpose of the gift of tongues well tongues is both a prayer language and a praise language both of which are directed at god not man first corinthians 14 verse 2 paul said for you speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to god that's pretty clear isn't it those who speak in tongues do not speak to men they speak to god for no one understands him however in the spirit he speaks mysteries and so the idea that god speaks to his church through quote messages in tongues unquote is unbiblical albeit very popular in charismatic circles but as we said last time you will not find that expression or phrase anywhere in the new testament a message in tongues because God never speaks to his church through tongues, through prophecy, yes, through tongues, no. Think of it this way. Tongues is always from us upward to God. Prophecy is always from God downward to us. When God speaks to his church, he speaks through the word of God primarily, but through prophecy. But when a Christian is exercising the gift of tongues, it's always directed 
to God in the form of prayer or praise. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, Paul said, if I pray in a tongue. So obviously Paul understood and believed we can pray in tongues. He said, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Again, that's a bizarre concept. Paul said, my spirit prays. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, the born-again part of him, the spirit, of, but the spirit of God inside him as well, right, is uh, praying through Paul or any of us who, who speaks in tongues. My spirit prays, but I don't know what I'm saying. My understanding is unfruitful. And again, this would cause many to say, well, how can praying in a language I don't understand be useful? Uh, if I don't know what I'm saying, how can I know what I'm praying for? And that's kind of the point. Sometimes we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We quoted uh, Romans uh, 8, verse 26, where Paul said, you know, sometimes we don't know what to pray for in a given situation. So the Spirit of God will pray through us with groanings. Now, that's not tongues. That's a different thing. But the same principle. I have experienced the groaning that Paul talked about, where you're groaning in your spirit uh, for somebody in prayer. You're not even verbalizing it. You don't know what to pray for. Maybe you haven't seen that person in 30 years, but all of a sudden God really lays them on your heart strongly, a real burden. And uh, this has happened to me in the past where I just... I got on my face before God, and all I could do was just groan and just focusing on this person. But it wasn't weird. It wasn't bizarre. Just my heart was so groaning for this person that God would intervene, that he would help them in whatever they needed. And I, I'm convinced, as Paul said in Romans 8, 26, the, the Spirit knows what's, what we want. and He knows what we need to pray for. So the groanings uh, ascend to God's throne and, of course, in the form of prayers that God understands, Okay. Uh, again, not technically tongues, but the same principle with tongues. And that sometimes we don't know what to pray for in a given situation or, uh, or um, what to pray for a person that God lays on our hearts so we can groan before the Lord or we can pray in tongues. And of course, uh, with that in mind, someone would then say, well then, if praying in tongues is perfect because it comes from the Holy Spirit, who knows exactly, right, what needs uh, to be prayed for in a person's life or in a given situation, uh, then why don't we just pray in tongues all the time? Well, that sounds logical. The problem is we would never know if God answered our prayer since we don't know what we're praying uh, for or what we're praying. Uh, and if I didn't know that God had answered my prayers, then my prayer life wouldn't be built up. Let's face it, answered prayer is a great impetus to want to pray more. Isn't that exciting? Don't you love those times when you pray and all of a sudden uh, the answer's right there, okay? Uh, I remember one time um, years ago, uh, there was a, a family in the church and they were going to be going away, uh, you know, uh, somewhere. And we had a missionary in town and they said, look, our house is available. Here's the house keys. They can come and stay at our house. Okay, I took the keys in my pocket. I was going to meet with this missionary later on that day. And the person comes in and says, will you pray for me? Says, I don't really have a place to stay. And I was able to hand them the keys. That's a neat uh, experience, okay? Uh, it's kind of like what David said, Lord, uh, answer me speedily. And sometimes he will. And an answered prayer is a real joy. It's a real, it just makes you want to pray all the more. But of course, if I only pray in tongues, I don't know what I'm praying. And therefore, I don't know when God has answered the prayer. 
And therefore, I can't thank him and praise him for answered prayer. Remember what Paul said uh, in um, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and don't forget to thank God for his answers. I can't praise God and thank him for his answers if I'm only praying in tongues. Okay, so Paul's solution, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, or in tongues, uh, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed Say amen. I mean, if you're somebody standing with you or you're doing this in church, and uh, of course, you're feeling the Spirit moving and it's powerful and you're being blessed, but the person next to you doesn't know what you're saying, so they can't say amen to your giving of thanks. Isn't that interesting? At your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. And again, uh, the idea of thanking God, praising God, that's all a part of what tongues is, which brings us to the second purpose of tongues. Tongues is, a, uh, is for the purpose of praise, as we just said. It's a praise language. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Again, still reviewing, and uh, we're about ready to get into the new stuff for tonight. But let me just, well, I wanted to go back and just kind of review what we already studied. But you remember that um, on the Feast of Pentecost, all these Pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims were in town. Pentecost was one of the three main Jewish feasts of the year. So uh, the city of Jerusalem swelled to a couple of million people at Passover, Pentecost, and in the fall, uh, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, the three main ones. And so a lot of pilgrims were in town in Jerusalem when the Spirit was poured out. Okay, We read in verse 4, And all the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, this mighty rushing wind sound, uh, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them, the disciples, speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, uh, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So what were they doing? They were praising God. Again, tongues is either for prayer or for praise. And right here, uh, the disciples, this is the first time this had ever happened. Tongues had never existed in Scripture before this. So this is a brand new phenomenon. We, we read that as they, were, uh, as they were speaking in tongues, there happened to be people present who knew the languages. The disciples didn't know what they were saying because uh, they didn't know the languages they were speaking. But there were people in town. Now keep that in mind. We'll get, come back to it in a minute. There were people in town who knew the languages. And they interpreted it because they knew the language that the disciples were all praising God, declaring the wonderful works of God. What is the purpose of praising God in a language we have never learned? Uh, here's where we really pick it up for tonight. What is the purpose of praising God in a language we have never learned? First of all, there are times in our Christian lives when words simply are not adequate to express the depth of our love, 
our appreciation, our thanksgiving to God Almighty. We have limited vocabularies. And that's where tongues becomes valuable. Because when you're praising God in tongues, the Holy Spirit in you is praising through you, bypassing your, your intellect, okay? Which is limited in its vocabulary. And the Spirit of God in you is praising God through you. Now you say, well, that's, that sounds a little weird though. God is praising God. Yes, but based on your heart desire, okay? The desire is there. You're just limited in the ability to express the desire. It's kind of like I have a, if, I'm, if I'm crippled, I have a desire to walk. If God comes along and touches me and lifts me up, he's giving me the ability, but the desire is mine, right? And, and the same thing is true with tongues. Uh, when you're praising God, again, vocabulary is limited, so this is a wonderful way to bypass your limited vocabulary and praise God directly from the Holy Spirit to God Almighty. Very important, uh, based on our heart desire. Secondly, though, praising God in tongues bypasses our intellect for the purpose... Here's the thing, okay? And I think this is the main one. The reason tongues is such a blessing is because... It bypasses our intellect. Our intellect doesn't know what's going on. It doesn't know what we're saying. Okay? My understanding is unfruitful, Paul said. I'm praying in the Spirit or praising in the Spirit. And when we do this, we bypass our intellect, which is prone to, listen, pride and selfishness because it's rooted in our fallen nature. And that goes for when we pray as well. You see, there are our prayers and even our praises could have selfish underpinnings or overtones. Let's be honest. There probably have been times when um, somebody in the body of Christ has prayed, uh, you know, and has asked God for something. Lord, uh, you know, my pastor just taught that I can have a Cadillac. Now, Lord, I pray for that Cadillac, and here's why I want it, Lord. I want to pick up kids for Sunday school. And Lord, if you give me the Cadillac, I'll make sure I pick people up. I'll pick up handicapped folks and ch I'll bring them all to church, Lord. Well, that's probably not your real motive, although I can't, you know, look into your heart. But I'm sure that some of that is selfish in nature. We have a way of wrapping our carnal desires in spiritual sounding verbiage. All right. Um, and the same is true with praise. Sometimes we're praising the Lord, but really... Uh, I'm praising God because I really want God to give me something. Remember the uh, mother of James and John? Remember it says in Matthew, I forgot, 20 or something, I think it was 20 or some, somewhere around there, where she comes to the Lord and she falls on her face and she worships him, it says. What does he say to her? What do you want? He knows she wanted. Oh, well, Lord, will you grant that one of my boys can sit on your right hand and the other in your left hand in the, in, left hand in the kingdom? So she worshipped him, quote-unquote, out of selfish desire. This is a real problem because we are all dealing with a fallen nature. We still have it. It's going to be with us until the rapture when we get our glorified bodies. And sometimes it can dominate. Sometimes it can creep in. We think we have it under control, but sometimes it can creep in. And uh, so it can taint with selfish motivation our prayers and our, our praise time. 
what happens with tongues is when you pray and you praise God in tongues, you bypass all of that. Your intellect, which is rooted in your fallen nature, can't interact with your prayers and your praise because it doesn't know what is being said. So for those times you're praising God in tongues or even praying, you're bypassing your intellect. You're going directly from the Spirit of God in you to God the Father. And uh, let me just say this to you, though. It is very humbling and even humiliating uh, to our intellect. We start praying or speaking in tongues because immediately our and I experience this. Okay, you're you're you're. You know, I'm I'm speaking to the Lord in tongues. All right, and immediately, and I don't know how much it is my fallen nature or the devil too, but immediately, you know, you start hearing this whisper in your ears. You know, uh, this is ridiculous. Do you really think you're speaking in a language you've never learned? You're acting like a fool, you know? And, and we're, you know, in, in, in the intellect, at the very least, is going berserk because it cannot interact. It cannot, you know, uh, control the conversation or whatever. And so, uh, you know, it attacks. And the devil is behind it as well. Uh, in fact, because of those attacks and things, a lot of Christians, after a while, are convinced, you know what, it is kind of stupid. It's just gibberish. I'm just making the words up, sounds up. And they stop using it. And this is how the devil, because the devil doesn't want you to do anything that's going to bypass the intellect he's been working on to corrupt. He doesn't want you having a direct pipeline to God to pray and to, and to praise him. So he's going to want to shut that down. And he has with a lot of Christians who have the gift but don't use it, even as Paul said to Timothy, who I don't know if he was talking about tongues, probably not, but said, stir up the gift that is in you that was given to you through the laying on of hands by the elders. So, so Timothy was given a gift of the Spirit he wasn't using anymore. And Paul says, stir it up, Timothy. Start using it again. And to those in this room who have been given the gift of tongues, I say the same thing. Stir it up. Start to use it again to praise God and to pray. I will say this, the exercise of this gift is a test of faith. It requires faith. In fact, uh, you can turn to Jude, verse 20. I'll have you turn this. You can just see it for yourself, this verse. The exercise of the gift of tongues requires faith all the time, every time you use it. But in uh, Jude 1, verse 20, Jude said, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, listen, praying in the Holy Spirit. And I believe Jude has in mind there the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues. But listen, we talk about how tongues humbles us in the sense that, again, we don't know what we're saying. And that takes humility to, uh, and faith to speak in a language you've never learned. But you know what? When your heart is truly humbled before God and your faith is strong, I mean, that kind of praise and that kind of prayer is powerful. In, in the eyes of God. It's powerful. Now, there are many who challenge the validity of speaking in tongues by saying, well, Jesus never spoke in tongues. And if he didn't speak in tongues, I don't believe it's a real thing. Well, I love what my pastor used to say on this. Two things, but I'll just give you what he said with the first one. He said, Jesus being God already knew every language in the world. So he couldn't speak in a language he never learned. Okay, you know, you know them all. Number one. Secondly, this is the most important thing. Jesus didn't have a fallen nature filled with pride that he needed to bypass to properly praise the Father like we need to do. However, 
The Lord Jesus said to us um, at the end of Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 17, that even though he never spoke in tongues, he said that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, uh, one of the signs would be that Christians would speak in tongues. So the Lord Jesus did talk about it, all right? He didn't do it because he didn't need to. But he did say one of the signs that the Spirit would be poured out upon the church was that uh, the church Christians would speak in tongues. Now listen, this is important, So, because you're going to get this. All right, so I'm going to throw it out to you. Many charismatics and Pentecostals believe that the only manifestation of being filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. And unless a Christian speaks in tongues, they are not, I repeat, are not filled with the Holy Spirit, they will say. This group, I think, most closely parallels the um, Corinthian Christians in Paul's day who elevated the gift of tongues above all the others. And they believed that if a Christian didn't have this gift, they were not as spiritual as those that did have the gift of tongues. Listen, the teaching that everyone who is filled with the Spirit must speak in tongues as proof is not scriptural. I mean, tongues is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. It is not the only evidence. Now, let me read these to you. You can write them down and look them up later. But the idea that when a person was filled with the Spirit, they always and only spoke in tongues is not scriptural. I'll show you. In Acts 4, verses 23 to 31, it says that the uh, disciples the, uh, were all filled with the Holy Spirit, but they didn't speak in tongues. But they did go out and preach the word boldly. So boldness, boldness in preaching the word, that was a, uh, an evidence, that was a sign that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 18, when the Samaritans believed in Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues, although there was some manifestation that wasn't mentioned. Why do I say that? Because Simon, remember Simon? Apparently he saw some manifestation of this because he offered Peter money to buy the ability to lay hands on people and impart this filling of the Holy Spirit. So some, he saw something. Uh, a lot of charismatics assume he, they spoke in tongues. doesn't say that. He saw something, though. I'll give him that. Okay, I'll give, give those folks that. In Acts 9, verses 10 to 19, there is no mention of Paul receiving the gift of tongues when he was filled with the Spirit, but it does mention something like scales falling from his eyes. Remember that? Now, are we to make scales falling from people's eyes the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay? It sounds crazy, but, I'm, you know, I mean, Paul had scales fall from his eyes when he got filled with the Spirit. Is that supposed to be an evidence? Uh, I think not. There's nobody else uh, in the New Testament where when they got filled with the Spirit, scales fell from their eyes. All right? So, well, why did it happen with Paul? I don't know. You have to ask him when you see him one day. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you. We, we must not put the Holy Spirit in a box, okay? Number four, we know that Paul had the gift of tongues. As I just said, he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he spoke in tongues more than anybody. But when he received the gift, we're not told. I mean, it might have been weeks or months or maybe even years after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't say, and we can't argue from silence. I'm just saying, you know, you can't say, well, you yeah, know, but I, I assume... It was right away. Well, you can assume whatever you want. 
doesn't make it so. You have to have facts. I'm just throwing it out to you, uh, and so on. I'll give you one more in Acts 19, verse 6. When a group of disciples believed in Christ and were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So again, guys, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to keep us from putting him in a box because we're really good at doing that. I don't think the Holy Spirit wants us. It's like when Jesus healed, right? Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he laid hands on somebody. Uh, one time he spit in the ground and made mud and smeared it all over the guy's eyes and he was, his sight was restored. He said, Lord, why did you do all that? You don't need to do that, all that stuff. Why didn't you just speak? Well, he did, but he also used other ways because the Lord doesn't want us to put him in a box. He doesn't want us to formulize the way he works. He is sovereign. And once we start formulizing, like God only does it this way, then we get ourselves into problems. We limit God. Our God is a lot bigger than our perception of things. And we have a real tendency to want to put God in a box. Like because he worked in my life this way, this is how he works in everybody's life. And that's a problem. So God purposely uh, does things in a variety of ways, just to make sure we don't uh, start getting into a rut where we just believe, oh, he's got to do it this way all the time. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I want to show you something. Now, at the end of chapter 12, Paul says in verse 28, he said, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and then the gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Last in importance in the list. Last in importance only in the sense that, as we're going to just see in a moment, tongues is more for personal use. And when we talk about doing the work of God, reaching the lost, preaching the gospel, as apostles back then, or as pastors and missionaries and so on, um, the gift of tongues doesn't take uh, the highest place. It's important, but it's mostly for our own personal use and edification. Hang on to that. What I really want to get to is starting in verse 29, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. We know they're rhetorical because in the Greek, the way they're constructed, Paul was looking for a no response. So we know they're rhetorical. He says, are all apostles? Of course not. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers of the word? No. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. Now here's the thing. This proves that not every believer is given the gift of tongues. I mean, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. Not all our apostles, not all our prophets, not all have the gift of teaching, um, not all have the gift of healing, not all speak in tongues, okay? Not every believer is given the gift of tongues. And listen to me, a person can speak in tongues and not necessarily be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now hear me out. The idea behind being filled with the Holy Spirit, in the Greek, the idea is in part to be controlled by. The same Greek phrase is used when it says in some place, they were filled with joy. They were controlled by joy. They were filled with wrath. At that moment, they were controlled by wrath, okay? When it talks about people being filled with the Spirit, part of the idea behind that is 
they were now being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not possessed, not taken over where they had no, no, you know, no choice in the matter. I'm just saying that you know, people who are filled with the Spirit welcome the Spirit to take over, to dominate, to give them strength and grace to live for God and do what God wants, okay? Uh, it's never against our will. But we, we want God to have more of us, okay? Um, somebody has said years ago, I was reading uh, a book on, on the Holy Spirit, and the author made the point of saying, you know, we often pray uh, to have more of God, but really we should be praying, God, take more of me. Because often we hold back. We're, we're, we limit God because we only want God to have so much of us. We only want God to have so much control over our lives. And the, more, the, whole, the Christian life is all about learning to let go more and more, surrender more and more of our life to the Spirit's control, because the more He controls, the more power in our lives there will be to live for Him and to be, and to be used by Him and so on. But you can, be, you can be speaking in tongues, a Christian can be speaking in tongues, and not technically at that moment. I mean, the Spirit of God is in them, no doubt speaking through them. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily controlled by the spirit in the sense that they have surrendered their entire life to the lord to be used as living sacrifices what do i mean let me show you first corinthians 3 i think this one is just very clear first corinthians 3 now we know earlier in the letter to the corinthians paul said that he rejoiced that god had seen fit to give the corinthian church all the gifts of the holy spirit so they had them all and tongues was a big one that they had but then he starts out chapter 3 by saying in verse 1 and i brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people but as to carnal as to babes in christ i fed you with milk and not with solid food uh, for until now you were not able to receive solid food i had to keep treating you like babies uh eating you know pablum or whatever okay uh because you were not mature enough for me to give you anything deeper or or you know in the way of doctrine right i had to feed you on the word like you were just babies drinking milk even now you're still not able for you are still carnal for where there is are envy strife and divisions among you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men or like unbelievers here's the problem with so many christians who have embraced the charismatic message teachings and at calvary chapel we are charismatic although i hate to i hate to share that with people because it just conjures up so much negativity in people's minds the, the term has been tainted kind of like born again okay i mean i believe in born again with all my heart i mean that's john 3 right that's what it means to get into heaven you're born again born of the spirit but you almost hate to tell people you're a born again christian because right oh you're one of those you're one of those born agains okay because it's just been tainted it's a good term biblical and it's like charismatic. Uh, you know, whenever somebody asks me, you know, is your church charismatic? Yes, but on Sunday morning, we only focus really on the teaching of the Word. I want people to understand, look, you know, yeah, we believe in the gifts, but we don't believe in the abuse that churches have entered into with regard to the gifts. Look, a Christian who doesn't speak in tongues, but demonstrates agape love, is showing more evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit than someone who speaks in tongues but manifests a critical, judgmental, uh, divisive heart with no love. To me, the real evidence of a person being filled with the Spirit is God's love flowing through them. 
And not only being filled with the Spirit, but maturity in Christ. Carnal Christians, 1 Corinthians 3, division, strife, backbiting, gossiping, as are all the marks of carnality. And you could be speaking in tongues and still manifest, as Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, you got all the gifts in operation, no doubt they were speaking in tongues like crazy, but you're carnal. I wish I could talk to you like, you pride yourself on having all these gifts, and you walk around like you're so spiritual because you have all these gifts, but look at your lives. Here you are talking in tongues like that's a big deal, shows how spiritual I am, but then you're fighting with each other, you're backbiting, you're gossiping, you're acting like, unbelievers so i i am not at all impressed when a church has gifts flowing i want to see how much love there is how much love there is now listen i personally believe now this is my own conviction i could be wrong i personally believe that it's possible for all christians to speak in tongues i know that we just read at the end of first corinthians 12 paul made it clear that not all christians have the gift of tongues and I could be going out on a limb, and that's true. I'm not disagreeing with Paul. But I believe that all Christians could speak in tongues. No, they don't all speak in tongues. Paul's right. But I believe they could speak in tongues if they wanted to and came to God and asked by faith for, them to, you know, for him to give them the gift of tongues. Why do I think it's possible for all Christians to speak in tongues? Because it is a language of praise and prayer, and how would God not want us to pray better, to pray more effectively, right? I mean, this is something that between us and God, and God's all about us drawing close to him. And folks, when it comes to drawing close with God, I will take any tool in the, in the box to draw close to him. If tongues will get me closer to God, will help me to praise him more effectively from the heart and to pray more effectively, then, Lord, I welcome it. I, I want it. But there's a lot of Christians who want it because of pride. In their church circle, only the most spiritual they've been taught speak in tongues. So naturally, I want it. God, give it to me. Well, why? Because you want to consume it upon your lust. You want to, you want to show everybody how spiritual you are. I believe in those cases, God will withhold tongues from a lot of Christians, charismatics I'm thinking of, because they don't really want it to get closer to God. They want it to show everybody else how spiritual they are. Also, God doesn't give it, I think, I'm convinced, to a lot of Christians because of fear. They're afraid of the gift. Uh, they don't want it because they've been taught it's of the devil, even. It doesn't exist anymore. It's of the devil. Uh, or... They have the misconception of that, you know, like they'll be out in public somewhere and all of a sudden the spirit will just take over. And they'll be like puppets and they'll be bringing all this gibberish out, you know, and they're, they're terrified of what that's going to, you know, how that they're going to you know, be embarrassed when that happens. Again, the spirit doesn't take control. The spirit doesn't force you to speak in tongues. So there's a lot of reasons why people don't get the gift of tongues. But I think that um, they could have it if they wanted it and uh, wanted it for the right reasons. Now, number three, so the gift of tongues, first of all, is for prayer. Secondly, for praise. Number three, and this, we've already touched on this, but the gift of tongues is primarily for personal edification. Personal edification. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue, listen, edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So the purpose of the gift of tongues 
One of the purposes is for your own personal devotional life. Yes, for prayer, also for pr the praise of God. As you exercise it, you have to exercise it in faith. And as Jude said in uh, verse 20 of his epistle, uh, as you exercise faith, it grows stronger. Okay, All of these edify my inner man. That's why it's a, a, a personal edification tool. Okay, Now, I actually heard somebody, uh, and a lot of the non-charismatics, they come up with these arguments. Uh, again, they're out of ignorance, okay? And they, they, they don't mean, it's like they've been taught these gifts don't exist anymore, and so here I am talking about the gifts, and so they want to challenge me. It's happened. And one of the things I've heard over the years is when I say that tongues is for personal edification, they say, where in the Bible are we ever taught to edify ourselves? That's carnal. Where are we taught in the Bible? How about 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And Paul didn't go on to say, and that's wrong. He just made a statement. Okay? Why is it wrong for me to want to be built up in my inner man that I can be closer to God? It's like physical exercise. Is it wrong for a Christian to physically exercise to build up their physical man? No, of course not. In fact, Paul said, you know, bodily exercise is what? Good for some things. Godliness is what? Good for everything. If physical exercise is not wrong, but it's only limited in its benefit, but it's good, how much more anything that will build up my inner man and get me closer to God? This idea, and people have these all these weird uh, arguments against tongues. I, I give you one, and I, I didn't look at my notes for next time. Um, I may have it in my notes to share next time, but I'll just share it tonight. I'm not going to tell you his name. He's a pastor on the radio. He's a good man. He, he loves the Lord. He's a cessationist, a uh, rabid cessationist. He doesn't believe the gifts of tongues, miracles, are still around today, Okay. And I heard him say something years ago when I was a new pastor. And I was studying with him, and he was teaching on this subject. He made a statement that so floored me, I had to spend some time alone with God just to process it and ask God about it. He said, God is no longer giving the gift of tongues. It's over. And anyone who asks God for a gift he's no longer giving opens themselves up to a demonic counterfeit so if you're speaking in tongues you are speaking on behalf of the devil was his point now that floored me because i respected this pastor and i i brought it before the lord and i, I said lord what about this and the lord you know one of those times where he kind of clearly speaks to your heart <laughs> he said phil what kind of father would i be if somebody a young child of mine in the faith read about this gift, which is in my word, by the way, and comes to me and asks for it and then begins to exercise it. I mean, do you think if I wasn't giving it, I certainly wouldn't let the devil counterfeit it. If the heart was right and this person only wanted to draw close to me, what kind of father would I be? 
If, if one of my children wanted to draw close to me and they read in my word that tongues was a way to get closer to me, and so they poured their heart out, and if I wasn't giving the gift, that's one thing, but I certainly wouldn't let the devil give them a counterfeit where every time they spoke in tongues, the devil was really speaking through them to curse me, which is what this pastor was actually saying. I mean, you know what? I understand you have convictions. I respect that. But you know what? Make sure your convictions don't trample on somebody else's faith and convictions. I mean, that to me was over-the-top ridiculous. And shame on him. He should, he should know better, but his own personal prejudices with regard to this subject was causing him to say bizarre and crazy things that no doubt really damaged a lot of young people's faith that listened to him and yet spoke in tongues. My goodness. Now, I know... Because of all we've talked about and how tongues can be used to draw us closer to God, it's no wonder the devil attacks you whenever you're trying to exercise this gift by sowing doubts and misconceptions into your mind to scare you away from using it. And I know people will say, well, yeah, but pastor, are these really languages or are they just gibberish? Let me say this. I think some people that speak in tongues are speaking just gibberish. Why do I say that? Because in the circle that they move in, again, the charismatic circles, these churches have elevated this gift to a level where if you don't speak in tongues, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not spiritual. And because nobody wants to, to feel like they're carnal and unspiritual who go to these churches, well, there's a lot of pressure on these folks to speak in tongues. And so they try real hard. And they've been taught just start speaking words just start you know basically just start talking gibberish and trust god he's going to make it a language okay well i think that for some of these folks they it just remains gibberish so yeah i think that there's some of that that's possibly true but i still believe the majority of those who in the body of christ who are speaking in tongues are not faking it they're not speaking gibberish they are exercising a real supernatural gift of the holy spirit let me share, you, share with you a story that um, one of our Calvary pastors, his name is John. It's out of his commentary, but I'll read what he wrote, and I think it was pretty powerful. John said, I'll never forget a meeting I attended at the Lake Arrowhead Hilton in California where about 100 believers had gathered together for a time of waiting upon the Lord. Since hotel rules dictated that the bar remained open whenever the conference room was in use, the bartender stood in the back of the room polishing glasses while we studied, worshipped, and prayed. Toward the end of the meeting, a fellow stood up and gave a beautiful utterance in tongues. Because there was no interpretation, the brother overseeing the meeting wisely said, We thank the Lord for that utterance, but since there is not interpretation flowing here tonight, that will be our only public utterance of tongues. When the meeting concluded, the bartender approached us. And with tears running down his cheeks said, I must talk to that man who stood up and prayed. How does he know my tongue? I'm Iranian. And he worshiped the true and living God in perfect Farsi. Nevertheless, John said, the bartender that night got saved. I remember Pastor Chuck sharing a story years ago. How They were in a uh, uh, Bible study at the church. And... Uh, in this particular study, uh, a, a woman uh, had come in. They didn't know her. She was new. 
and maybe just visiting. And she sat in for the study. After this, it was not a big group, maybe like, well, maybe more than this, but just a smaller group, maybe 100, 200 people. And after the study, um, they waited on the Lord for a little while. And while they were waiting on the Lord, Chuck's daughter, Jan, began to speak in tongues. There was nobody to interpret, so she eventually stopped, and that was it. After the meeting broke up, this woman, older lady, came forward and asked Pastor Chuck, who was that woman that spoke tonight, and how did she know that language? You see, I'm a professor of ancient languages, and my specialty is in a very rare, extinct French dialect that was only spoken by the aristocrats. And she spoke that very rare, not spoken anymore, she spoke that language perfectly. How did she learn that language? And Pastor Chuck said, would you be shocked to know my daughter never learned that language and didn't know what she was saying? You're confirming that she spoke a language. He said, that was what the Bible calls the gift of tongues. It's a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And Chuck went on to explain it to this woman, and she got saved that night as well. Then, to get kind of freaky, I've heard testimonies from missionaries in remote areas of the world that when the native people they were ministering to received the gift of tongues, they spoke in English. Now, that would freak you out, right? They spoke English as they were praising God. Wow. Listen, guys, you don't need tongues. You don't need it. It doesn't make you any less spiritual if you don't have it or any more spiritual if you do. But for me, once again, anything that God wants to give me, I want. Because our Father, James 1.17, only gives good and perfect gifts. I don't need to be afraid of it. Anything the Father gives me, I know, is perfect. And if I will embrace it, it will bless my life and enrich my walk with him. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. As we bring this to a close, Paul said, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's the key. God is not the author of confusion, as many of these charismatic assemblies uh, are just up for grabs, confusing, and chaotic. Paul commands the churches, look, don't forbid speaking in tongues. But then he goes on to tell us the gift must be regulated in public meetings. In 1 Corinthians 14, he instructs the Corinthians in the proper use of the gifts in the public assembly. And the point he drives home is that, first of all, there has to be order, and secondly, there has to be purpose. Now listen to me. Paul wants to be very clear that there cannot be chaos in the public assembly where everyone is basically doing their own thing. Because the purpose, listen, of the public assembly, of us getting together corporately, the purpose is that we are edified, and that is done primarily through the teaching of the word. Okay, that is really why we come here, that we might be fed the word of God. Yes, to praise God and to worship him. But then, and it's my privilege to be one who teaches, uh, but the purpose of the church gathering corporately, one of the main purposes is that 
the body of Christ be fed the word of God, that it would grow, be edified, okay? And so the whole issue in chapter 14, if you don't know this, you're going to be confused. The whole issue in chapter 14 boils down to public edification versus personal edification. And which gifts, prophecy or tongues, was the proper gift to accomplish each of those purposes? And both are important. One is not better than the other. It just depends on the situation. Public edification of the body is very important. Personal edification in your own walk with God, very important. The problem is the Corinthians were taking personal things into the public assembly and it was creating a problem. And Paul wanted them to realize that, look, um, these gifts are to be regulated. They're not just, it's not going to be a free-for-all. Or, you know, and that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Very chaotic. Well, one person would stand up, and there was no pastor at that time. Uh, they were just functioning like, you know, just everybody was in leadership, all right? Uh, that was a problem, okay? But, you know, they would come together. Somebody had a prophecy. Somebody had a psalm. Somebody had a tongue. It was very chaotic. And Paul says, look, you can all use your gifts, but understand you've got to use them one by one so that we can all benefit from the gifts. But um, you are not to do it chaotically. The purpose is edification. So make sure that, you know, you're not doing something just to edify yourself in a public assembly, like, like speaking in tongues. Hey, that blesses you, but if there's no interpreter, that's it. No more speaking in tongues then. If nobody with the gift of interpretation happens to be there that day, all right? And to achieve the proper application and balance, Paul mandates that certain rules and restrictions are to be applied in the public assembly to assure that the proper conduct be maintained so that the work of the Holy Spirit in the public service isn't hindered or, listen, quenched. Quenched. Now here's the thing. Often people that want to have no restrictions on their exercise of the gifts, and there are those out there, okay? They don't like when you tell them they can't exercise certain gifts whenever they want. And often the criticism is when we try to restrict the use of the gifts, restrict it to the guidelines in the Bible, uh, in public worship, uh, is that they accuse us of quenching the Spirit. In other words, if we don't allow people to do whatever they want uh, in a public service, then we're quenching the Spirit. Paul is saying exactly the opposite of that. You quench the Spirit when you don't have any rules or guidelines that you operate under when you come together as a church and exercise the gifts. It is not to be done chaotically, out of order kind of a thing. And those that think that the Spirit is honored by us just coming and doing whatever we want all together, chaotically, confusingly, Paul's going to address what that does to new believers or unbelievers who come into your assembly. Not good. We'll talk about that next time. We need to have some kind of... When you're in private, you know, we, we had uh, somebody here... This gal was asking me if uh, we danced in the Spirit during our services. I said, no, we don't dance in the Spirit. You can go home and dance all you want, because in private, do whatever you wish. is you and the Lord. Dance, sing in tongues, do whatever you want. In a public assembly, we have some restrictions, some rules. These are biblical rules. These are not our rules. We're just trying to do things decently and in order. But of course, some people just don't understand that. And right away, you're being carnal. You're, you're quenching the spirit. Years ago, years ago, we had a young woman come to our church. She had been coming for a little while. 
And while we were worshiping the Lord, now we're singing songs, we're worshiping God. Suddenly she stands up and starts to give a prophecy. And it was my little children, something this, something that. You know, she was correcting and she was instructing, okay? Well, one of our ushers went over and asked her to please sit down. Because at that moment, we were worshiping the Lord, okay? It's kind of like, and I agree with Pastor Chuck. I've never forgotten this. He says, when I'm teaching God's word, now I pray all week long that the Spirit will speak through me as I'm teaching God's word. If I'm teaching God's word and somebody stands up and begins to prophesy, why would God interrupt himself? And what often is happening is somebody wants to just grab hold of the moment and put the spotlight on themselves. When I'm worshiping God, my focus is on him. And the last thing I need is to be in the presence of God and somebody says, thus says the Lord. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, you're, you're jerked out of the presence of God. That is not what God wants. That, I'm sorry, that is carnality. Manifesting itself as spirituality. I was listening to one of our Calvary pastors. And he said when he first got saved, he went to a charismatic church. And it was like clockwork. Every service on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, Sister so-and-so would always stand up and give a prophecy from the Lord. It was her little moment in the spotlight to draw attention to herself. Oh, and by the way, we came to find out later, because in those days, the kids came into the sanctuary and worshiped with the adults, and then we took them into the Sunday school for their teaching. We came to find out later because this gal checked in her young son, and then, of course, the Sunday school teachers brought the kids down at one point as we started the worship portion of our service. And they heard her say to her son, Watch mommy today. Watch mommy today. I'm going to do something. So she had the whole thing orchestrated. This wasn't really of God. It was just her way of showing people how spiritual she was. So I don't even know if she actually was speaking from the Lord at all. I, I doubt it. Now, we got a lot of flack because we asked her to sit down. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to revisit some of these teachings because apparently we had people in the church who, even though they had been coming to Calvary for a long time, um, still thought it was wrong that we would restrict or, you know, uh, or cause somebody not to be able to speak whenever they felt they needed to. Look, if you've got a prophecy you feel is from the Lord, you come up and you talk to me. Share it with me or the, one of the pastors. My son's um, in-laws, they go to a, a charismatic church in Phoenix. And um, the way they handle it is if somebody in a public assembly, while people are worshiping or there's a time of waiting on the Lord, if uh, the elders are in front, and if somebody has something they feel is a prophecy from the Lord, they will come up and share it with the, one of the elders. If the, of course, the elder is listening to find out if it contradicts anything the Bible says. And if it doesn't, then they say, okay, fine. And then the person's allowed to go to the mic and share it. I, I respect that. That's doing things decently and in order. But you have to, you know, if we just had open mic here, you ever been to... You ever, you ever been to a place where people are given the mic and allowed to talk, regardless of what the situation is? Some of those people, you've got to basically pry the microphone out of the Let go of it, you know, because they just don't want to stop talking. They love talking in front of people, okay? So, you know, we want to be open to the Spirit of God, but we also want to be careful 
that we don't provide an environment where a lot of weird stuff can be said in the name of God. And, and we're just trying to do our best, okay? But let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's just read the first five verses again, and we'll close as we set this up for next week. And uh, I fully intend to, to finish our study next week. And uh, there's some things that, that Paul talks about later on in this chapter that have people very much confused. I think we need to talk about with regard to gifts. It sounds like he's contradicting himself. And a lot of people are like, I don't get this. I, you know, he says one thing, and they seem to totally contradict himself. And I understand what you're, what you're saying. We'll look at that next week. But in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5, Paul says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. All right, we've gone through this. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men, because that's God speaking to his church, and he speaks in a language everyone knows, and they can all be edified, and so on. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Only in the sense that he's edifying the whole church, whereas tongues is edifies me when I speak to God. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul tells us that speaking in tongues is good, but in the public assembly, prophecy is better because that's God speaking, that edifies the entire body, uh, that's what we want. Public assembly, a corporate assembly, uh, the issue is uh, the edification of the entire body. So we'll look, finish next time our, our study in the gifts. And um, like I said, there is one part uh, later on down in 1 Corinthians 14 that have a lot of people confused, and I feel we need to touch on that, and then we will uh, finish and continue on in our study in 1 Peter 4 and then through the end of the book. So, Father, we thank you for your, well, your awesome gifts, Lord. And Father, we just pray that you would fill our church with all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and give us the grace to exercise them the way you want us to, that we might all be edified. And Lord, that you would fill us mostly with your agape love, that, Lord, we would really love each other. We wouldn't just say we love each other, but we would really mean it and demonstrate it. And so, Lord, we just give you our church. We pray that, Lord, you would work within us and then through us, that you might be exalted, that you might be lifted up. Of course, the goal in all of this, Lord, is that people get saved and you be glorified. So, Lord, give us grace to be those instruments those vessels that you might use to accomplish your purposes and we thank you lord for all you've done all you're doing and all you will do in our savior's precious name amen